Hi, thank you for tuning in to the Fringe Following. My name is Ronnie, and today is December 5th, 2020. Now, I had to take a break after the election, after November 3rd, to collect my thoughts. Um, The last four weeks has been a roller coaster ride, as I'm sure it's been for many of us who are listening right now, who are wondering what direction the country is going in, what's happening in these swing states, um, all the fraud, everything that's going on, and that some people in our government are starting to show their true colors. Here we have Kellyanne Conway, who's decided that she's going to work on the Biden administration, that she wants to work in the Biden administration. And we're beginning to see who's there for us and who isn't. Who's for our country? Who's behind Trump for this fight for our republic and our constitution? And on a daily basis, it changes. Now, I'm going to lay out what I think is going on. Although I don't have a crystal ball, I'm not, you know... um, I'm just a, I'm just a woman. I'm just an American woman. And I care about my country and I care about my republic. I care the direction it's going in. I'm assuming a lot of you that are listening also do too. Now there's a lot of fraud going on in the country. I'm glad it's been revealed. It's it's ugly. But see, sometimes we have to overturn the see what's under the rocks, all those creepy critters. You know, all that, all that moss, all the ugliness. We have to let the sunshine hit it and see what's going on. Now, I've suspected for a long time there are a lot of shady things going on in our government. I've never trusted our government. What Trump has done has come in and he has really shine a huge light all over the land. And he's exposed a lot. See, I think he has a plan. I think he's had a plan for a very long time. Now, getting into the election fraud, I'm going to be covering some things here. Uh, Some news articles I came across and what's happening in some of these states. But back in 2012, I recall a tweet he tweeted out about election fraud. And I believe it had to do with the um, Obama administration, that election, if you recall, in 2012. He knew then. He knew then. He knew that election fraud existed. Now, back in 2012, I personally wasn't aware Um, I'm aware of a whole lot more than I am now than I was then. I got to kind of study the character of Donald Trump. And I have. Now, a lot of people on the left have their opinion of him. Some still have their opinion of him. Some have abandoned him. Some have stuck to their 
thoughts that he's a white supremacist and that he's a racist and all this stuff. Um, some have stayed loyal. They've stayed loyal. And see, Trump is about loyalty to him and his country. And you're going to see that. And you are seeing that right now because he's fighting every damn day for our country. But I'm going to get into his character here at the end of this podcast. Right now, what I wanted to talk about is currently on December 5th, 2020, you know, what's going on with these states, what's going on with the fraud as of right now, because we know that it changes on a daily basis. It changes by the hour. Now, everybody's saying that December 14th is the day that the votes come through for the electoral process. From what I have read, and I don't have the sources in front of me, but what I have read is January, January, I believe, 20th is the day that we need to know who's president. We have time. Nowhere in the Constitution does it say December 14th. That's something that was made up in the 40s. That's one, something I learned just this morning. And that was just this arbitrary date set that everybody voted the electoral process voted to see who's president. But we have time because this is this is an unusual election. This is not another four-year election. Now, I know I sound like, you know, cute, and I do follow those posts. However, I do not attach myself to them. I am simply an observer of that movement. However, as things are starting to unfold, we see that it isn't another four-year election. This is highly unusual. Now, this isn't the first time in our history that there was problems with mail-in ballots and this kind of thing. Now, I don't believe we've seen fraud, or at least that we know of, at this scale. But this is the first time we're flipping the rocks over and we're seeing all the little dirty critters scamper away and hide, right? I think it's been going on a while um, but that's my opinion, and I believe Trump knew that in 2012 as well, as I said earlier. Now we're going to get into a little bit here of what is currently going on. Now, in the state of Nevada, which I currently reside, just this past week, Judge James Russell has denied the Trump campaign's election contest lawsuit in Nevada that sought to block certification of state six electoral votes or award them to Trump. That doesn't surprise me. There's been a lot of fraud that's been um, uncovered here in this state. Lots of out-of-state people living out-of-state that haven't lived here in some time, voting, you know, mailing in their ballots, multiple ballots, you name it. Um, that's the current status in here in Nevada. Uh, as far as Let's see, Sidney Powell is in, has been working very hard on, on Michigan and, and, and Georgia. And this article comes from UncoverDC.com. Attorney Sidney Powell, prosecutor for We the People of the United States of America. So the 75-page civil lawsuit filed on November 26th by lawyer Sidney Powell, Michigan, on the heels of her similar suit in 
Georgia on the same day, alleges what seems to be incontrovertible evidence of cyber fraud writ large, as well as the standard unlawful counting or manufacturing of hundreds of thousands of illegal, ineligible, duplicate, or purely fictitious ballots in the state of Michigan. Now, Powell's investigation is independent from the Trump campaign. Now remember, mainstream media went a little crazy with this. But Powell was never involved in Trump's campaign. She's involved in the criminal side. So she has created a website for her 501c4 defending the Republic to help fund her election fraud investigation on behalf of the American people. A fair election ensures there is equal protection among the electorate. In other words, one person, one vote. The extraordinary number of mail-in ballots and the electronic means of processing and tabulating votes added exponential risk of fraud in the 2020 election. Affidavits from multiple expert witnesses and dozens of affidavits from citizen witnesses support evidence that the alleged fraud in the 2020 election occurred not only in Wayne County and the city of Detroit, but throughout the state of Michigan at the direction of election officials there. Cyber election fraud. So similar to what was documented in the Georgia lawsuit, Dominion Voting Systems and its software Smartmatic also played a significant role in the fraud alleged in Michigan. Multiple experts testified under penalty of perjury, detailing the ways that the software systematically adapted the ploy of old-fashioned ballot stuffing to virtual ballot stuffing, then amplified and rendered the cheating virtually invisible. The fraud was allegedly carried out by local election officials and foreign actors, including Iran and China. Notably, the Michigan complaint says the Dominion was awarded a $25 million 10-year contract to a Dominion Project team led by Kelly Garrett, former Deputy Director of the Michigan Democrat Party. Then certifying Dominion Software, Michigan officials disregarded all the concerns that caused Dominion Software to be rejected by the Texas Board of Elections in 2018 after being deemed vulnerable to undetected and non-auditable manipulation. So a serious read of the declarations of several experts involved in reviewing the election machines and their capabilities makes it difficult to refute the claims of fraud. So cybersecurity expert Russ Ramsland from Allied Security Operations Group, ASOG, which investigated the 2018 Dallas, Texas election, concluded that Dominion machines should not be used to certify an election there. And a second expert was an electronic intelligence analyst under the 305th Military Intelligence Battalion who became a Dominion voting machine's whistleblower in the 2006 Venezuelan election. He said that votes were switched to ensure a win by Chavez in that election. His identity has been redacted in the suit. Navid 
Keshavar Nia was also a brilliant cybersecurity expert and electronic engineer whose credentials include bona fides from the DIA Defense Intelligence Agency, the NSA, the CIA, DHS Office of Intelligence and Analysis, and Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT. The team associated with Matt Brainard, former data chief and strategist for Trump for President, who works for the Voter Integrity Project, provided data for Michigan as well as the Georgia case. The evidence found by these experts purported statistical anomalies and mathematical impossibilities that appear to have shifted the election results from President Trump to Joe Biden. So you get what is going on here. This article does keep going. I'm not going to read it all. You can follow this at uncoverdc.com. Here in Wisconsin, Kyle Becker tweeted out, and he's an independent journalist, by the way. He's a former associated writer of Fox News. But he did say, Wisconsin, it's a sham. It's a complete sham. I can tell you right away, there's no way this is a legitimate recount. Another day, another poll worker's testimony of rampant voter fraud in Milwaukee. This is truly disturbing, he tweets. And here he has a video of the poll worker's testimony. She uh, filmed herself for the world to see. I'll play that for you now. And once again, the lawyers were in um, the hall at the Wisconsin Center, and they were continuously debating, continuously debating about um, uh, ballots that were um, objected to. And um, there are also workers, table workers or poll workers um, from the counties who were coming up and saying that they um, couldn't get their job done because of people like us who were observing and watching. And I can tell you that from the situation that I had experienced and including the, the article that has been going around from Fox News, which, by the way, was written by Associated Press, um, is, it's, it's a sham. It's a complete sham. So you come down to Milwaukee thinking, hey, I'm going to support my community, um, be an observer, uh, object to what I need to object to based on the data we were given. And I can tell you right away, there's no way that a, this is a legitimate recount because they have, and you can see by pictures, I'm sure, that are being posted, there are um, tables that we're supposed to be at, that we're supposed to be watching and observing the uh, envelopes, absentee ballot envelopes, and um, the actual the ballots themselves. You can't see them. 
you cannot see them because the poll workers are behind plexiglass and they have us as observers sitting six feet away behind a yellow line and they're like, yep, you can come and observe, but we don't care if you can't see because legitimately it's too far to see little handwriting or different colored ink um, or to see if um, there was an address on the envelope All right, so there you have it from a poll worker in Wisconsin. Now, these kind of stories are coming out all over. This back, going back to Michigan, and I'm sure this just did go viral last week with this blonde lady, never did learn her name. Um, This is from the Michigan hearing. Rudy Giuliani was sitting right next to her. This is very, very revealing. Uh, People (laughs) love her. I'm going to go ahead and play this clip. The poll poll book is completely off. Completely off. Off by 30,000? I'd say that poll book is off by over 100,000. That poll book? Why don't you look at the registered voters on there? How many registered voters are on there? Do you even know the answer to that? No, I guess I'm trying to get to the bottom of this here. Zero. There's zero. So, my question then... Is if the yes? How many? Wait. What about what about how what what about the turnout rate? A hundred and twenty percent. Let's uh, let's let Representative Johnson ask his positive question. <laughs> so the poll book number. Okay, there, there's two things that could happen here. Either the poll book number. It, it ballots were caught multiple multiple times. There, there's two options. Option number one is that the poll book numbers are not going to match. They don't. The actual. Not by thousands and thousands of votes. That's not what we see right now. You that, take a look again. Take a look again. Option number two is that they essentially were were filling in names of people who didn't vote. That, Dead people too. So is that? Let's guess, let that Representative Johnson ask his question, and then when I he's thought that done, was his answer. Okay. Well, I guess uh, that, that's well, my my question here is why we're not seeing the poll book off by thirty thousand votes. That that's not the what case. What did you guys do? Take it and uh, do something crazy to it. I'm just saying the numbers are not off by 30,000 votes. So I know what I saw. That they're filling in. I know what I saw. And I signed something saying that if I'm wrong, I can go to prison. Did you? Okay, we're... Isn't she lovely? Lovely woman from Michigan. <laughs> her blonde hair tousled up on her head, her red lips. Yeah, she's, she's great. Um... And then moving on to Arizona. So Arizona's House and Senate have called for an audit of the Maricopa County election software and equipment from the Dominion voting systems. Here we have Dominion again. Following allegations of voter fraud and other irregularities presented this week by the Trump campaign that was put out by the Epic Times just today. Um, Now in Georgia... A lot of problems in Georgia. Georgia election fish officials. Now, this is uh, Gateway Pundit, published just yesterday. Georgia election officials warn judge if they are not allowed to wipe machines clean, there could be grave and serious consequences. The corrupt official election officials in Georgia are very concerned 
that if they cannot get in and wipe the Dominion voting machines clean, there could be grave and serious consequences, like maybe jail time. There are the same... These are the same people who were just caught yesterday pulling out suitcases full of ballots to count while no one was in the room. If you remember this story that broke just this last week. Georgia officials on Thursday asked a judge to lift an order that is blocking officials from altering information in voting machines in three counties, arguing the machines are needed to prepare for the upcoming Senate runoff elections. Evidence demonstrates Cobb and Gwinnett counties need to use ballot marking devices from Dominion Voting Systems. Carrie Miller, a state attorney, wrote in a court filing. The filing included a declaration from Christy Royston, the election supervisor for Gwinnett County's Board of Registrations and Elections. She said the restraining order preventing her country or county, rather, and others from wiping or resetting the voter machines has, again, grave (laughs) and serious consequences. Now, as far as Pennsylvania is concerned, this article was uh, published yesterday in knockreport.com. So did Justice Alito set a safe harbor trap by setting Pennsylvania response deadline a day after? So Supreme Court Justice Samuel Alito is the smartest person in just about any room he walks into. Did he lay a trap for Democrats with his December 9th response deadline? Now let's delve into this. Mainstream media and social media legal scholars have been celebrating a decision by Justice Samuel Alito. After accepting U.S. Congressman Mike Kelly's petition challenging the results of the presidential election, Justice Alito set a deadline of December 9th for the date to respond. It's a conspicuous date since the so-called, quote, safe harbor date for picking electors is December 8th. This has been interpreted by nearly everyone as an indication the Supreme Court does not want to get involved with the election shenanigans. And that very well may be the case, but in this particularly scenario or in this particular scenario, it would behoove a reluctant Supreme Court to act quickly and decisively if they do not want to get involved because this petition has many challenges. It's likely to be thrown out, as lower courts have, because the decisions and questions have been in place for months, but Pennsylvania Republicans did not act until after President Trump appeared to lose. This calls into question their motivation and resolve. A quick dismissal by the Supreme Court would play towards their perceived stance of not wanting to get involved. By slow playing this petition, it's very possible Justice Alito is giving Republicans an open door to contest not only the election results, but the electors as well. Below is the provision for safe harbor in which the author highlights two relevant pieces of information. This is from congress.gov, December 8, 2020, the safe harbor deadline. The U.S. Code 3 U.S.C. provides that if election results are contested in any state and if the state prior to election day 
has enacted procedures to settle controversy or contests over electors and electoral votes. And if these procedures have been applied and the results have been determined six days before the electors' meetings, then these results are considered to be conclusive and will apply in the counting of the electoral votes. This date, known as the safe harbor deadline, falls on December 8th in 2020. The governor of any state where there was a contest and which the contest was decided according to established state procedures is required to send a certificate describing the form and manner by which the determination was made to the archivist as soon as practicable. Reading through the Pennsylvania's election code, there are no provisions nullifying, nullifying challenges brought before the Supreme Court as grounds for the election to be considered contested. In other words, as long as Representative Kelly's petition is on the docket in the Supreme Court, controversies and contests over electors and electoral votes have not been remedied nor resolved. Again, it's conspicuous that Justice Alito extended the response date until the day after Safe Harbor Day. If they wanted to send a signal that the Supreme Court isn't getting involved, they could have either not accepted the petition or they could have followed standard practices and set the state's deadline for the 7th or earlier. By delaying it, Justice Alito has given Representative Kelly, his legal team, and others an open door to disregard Safe Harbor and press forward with efforts to overturn fraudulent election results. We debated even running the story in fear that it could prompt Democrats to act. But after talking to a pair of constitutional scholars, we concluded that unless they respond ahead of the deadline and a decision is made by the Supreme Court on or before December 8th, the safe harbor rule still wouldn't apply. If they do not respond before December 8th, it simply makes the election easier to contest. This is admittedly it's a stretch, the Arthur writes. We also debated running the story on grounds that it may sound like some harebrained act of desperation. Then one of my writers sent me a video by Tim Poole, who appears to have came to the same conclusion, and he's generally more skeptical than I am about such things. So uh, that's what's going on currently in, in Pennsylvania, which is very interesting. And we don't know how that's going to turn out, obviously. Um, now, kind of getting into now what's happening with, you know, there's a lot of moving parts going on right now. There's a lot of things being put in place. We don't know what's going to happen with, you know, Judge Alito or, or why he picked or chose that date. It's, it's interesting. It's very interesting. What's also going on is, if you've been paying attention, now this goes back to the plan that I think Trump has had. Now remember, 
He's known about election fraud for a very long time. He's known more about election fraud probably than the average person has. I could probably say we were shocked this election to learn how deep this goes. But in addition, Trump has been making his moves also within the Pentagon. He's been moving people out and moving people in. And why is this? I don't think any of us really knows at this point, but we can sort of look in and try to figure it out as best we can. Trump's not going to give away all the secrets, you see. He's going to play his cards right. Now, DC Dirty Laundry, <laughs> which has a very interesting logo of a bra hanging off a line, um, is, is talking about this type of moves going on. Okay, situation update. Trump, in, Trump invokes foreign, foreign interference provision of his 2018 executive order authorizing military response to cyber warfare. Now remember, he put out a 2018 executive order on foreign interference into American elections, right? Now, what this says here is ask yourself this question. Now, this is referring back to the speech he gave. Remember the 43-minute speech he gave to the American people just the other day? And it was about the election and the fraud and everything that was found. It says, ask yourself this question. What was the purpose of yesterday's White House speech about election fraud and vote rigging? If you think it was all about Trump's communicating to the people, think again. This speech was really about Trump communicating with Chris Miller and the Department of Defense, DOD, about foreign interference in the U.S. election while laying out the key national security justifications that are necessary to invoke what I'm calling the national security option for defending the United States against an attempted cyber warfare coup. In this article, I present details from 10 U.S.C. Section 394, Subtitle A, Part 1, Chapter 19, Authorities Concerning Military Cyber Operations, as well as National Security Presidential Memoranda, NSPM Number 13, Covering offensive cyber operations. Now, if you go to this website, DC Laundry, Dirty Laundry, dcdirtylaundry.com, there is a whole podcast that lays out um, the Trump's DOD intelligence team to trap the Democrats in acts of treason and warfare against America. You might want to give that a listen, but for now, I'm just going to read um, so now, the, what this author attempts to do here is decode President Trump's December 2nd speech. And if you watch that, I encourage you to go ahead and, and watch that speech. Listen. So he says here, consider what Trump said in yesterday's speech. You can watch the full speech online. But 
If you don't know what to listen for, you'll miss all the important language. About 95% of the speech was filler. Only 5% really matters, as he, as the author details below. So first he lays out that he has sworn oath to defend the United States Constitution against the wartime siege that's underway. As president, I have no higher duty than to defend the laws and the Constitution of the United States. That is why I am determined to protect our election system, which is now under coordinated assault and siege. He then explains that the vote was criminally rigged with fraud, which is a crime, and that it's now time to overturn the election results and correct them. Millions of votes were cast illegally in the swing states alone, and if that's the case... The results of the individual swing states must be overturned and overturned immediately. Then he explains that China was part of this entire plan from the very beginning via their engineering and launching of the coronavirus, which Democrats used to justify mass mail-in ballots, which were then used to steal the election. The statement specifically invoked national security elements of our defense protocols. The Democrats has this election had this election rigged right from the beginning. They used the pandemic as an excuse to mail out tens of millions of ballots, which led to a big part of the fraud. There was there is no one happier than China. Trump then calls for a full forensic audit, which can obviously take place under military authority. Since the local elections officials are corrupt, fraudulent criminals, he explains this himself. Dramatically eroding the integrity of our elections was the Democrats' number one priority. For a simple reason, they wanted to steal the 2020 presidential election. All of the Democrat efforts to expand mail-in balloting laid the groundwork for the systemic and pervasive fraud that occurred in this election. Then about 30 minutes into the speech, he invokes legal language that clearly references Trump's September 12, 2018, executive order, which describes remedies for foreign interference in U.S. elections. Here's what Trump says. The only conceivable reason why you would block common sense measures to verify legal eligibility for voting is you are trying to encourage, enable, solicit, or carry out fraud. It is important for Americans to understand that these destructive changes to our election laws were not a necessary response to the pandemic. The pandemic simply gave the Democrats an excuse to do what they were trying to do with for many, many years. Note carefully the phrase, trying to encourage, enable, solicit, or carry out fraud. Where have we heard something very similar before? In the 2018 executive order, which describes who will be subjected subjected to having all their assets seized by the U.S. government, and note that this applies to corporations, individuals, partnerships, and even nonprofits. Section 2A2, to have materially assisted, sponsored, or provided financial, material, or technological support for or goods or services to or in support of any activity described in subsection AI, section 2AI, to have 
directly or indirectly engaged in, sponsored, concealed, or otherwise been complicit in foreign interference in a U.S. election. Thus, Trump just invoked the 2018 executive order and sent an undeniable signal to Chris Miller at the DOD, as well as many other groups, that the Democrats, the the treasonous media, and the complicit big tech giants have all engaged in concealing advocating or supporting foreign interference in the U.S. election, treason, rendition, flights, and military tribunals. So what is the remedy for such such actions of treason against the United States? Under existing U.S. law, it's a felony or crime to try to rig votes. Under military law during a time of war, it's treason. And under the 2018 executive order, each of the entities engaging in this behavior will have all their assets seized by the U.S. Treasury. Translated into plain language, this means that Twitter, Facebook, CNN, The Washington Post, Google, MSNBC, etc. are now able to be completely seized, shut down, or taken over by the Trump administration as they all engaged in the defined behaviors outlined in the 2018 executive order, which Trump just cited. Consider this as I list all the evidence that Trump's attorneys and DOD white hat team members now possess, much of which will surely be presented by SCOTUS, most likely by Sidney Powell, once one of her cases reaches that level of the judicial system. Uh, CIA Director Gina Haspel admitting to election interference in a full confession which has now been acquired. Dominion executives confessing to engineering backdoors into the systems which has also been acquired. Packet analysis results from white hats who intercepted all the real-time vote rigging traffic which includes specific instructions from CIA servers to add the hundreds of thousands of votes in real time to Dominion tabulation machines in swing states. This is now publicly confirmed by Colonel Phil Waldron. Log files and software evidence from the CCIA service in Frankfurt, Germany, which provides physical and intellectual proof that the CIA inserted hundreds of thousands of votes into Dominion tabulation machines. All of this evidence exists right now. Trump has it all. His speech lays the official groundwork that can now be cited by other officials, namely the DOD and Treasury, which runs the U.S. Secret Service, in order to justify their own initiation of orders for further arrests, rendition flights, and wartime activities necessary to defend the United States of America against foreign enemies who are waging cyber warfare against the United States. 10 U.S.C. 394, authorities concerning military cyber operations. So in case you're wondering whether the U.S. military under Trump really has the authorization to acts of cyber warfare, which coordinated conventional military actions, read 10 U.S.C. Section 394, Subtitle A, Part 1, Chapter 19. This is available via the U.S. Code.house.gov. So Section 394, Authorities Concerning Military Cyber Operations, A, in general, the defense, the Secretary of Defense shall develop, prepare, and coordinate, make ready all armed armed forces for purposes of and 
when appropriately authorized to do so, conduct military cyber activities or operations in cyberspace, including clandestine military activities or operations in cyberspace, to defend the United States and its allies, including in response to malicious cyber activity carried out against the United States or United States person by a foreign power. B, affirmation of authority. Congress affirms that the activities or operations referred to in subsection A when appropriately authorized include the conduct of military activities or operations in cyberspace short of hostilities. Such a term is used in the War Powers Resolution or in areas in which hostilities are not occurring, including for the purpose of preparation for the, of the environment, information operations, force protection, and deterrence of hostilities or counterterrorism operations involving the armed forces of the United States. Clandestine activities or operations, this is under Section C, a clandestine military activity or operation in cyberspace shall be considered a traditional military activity for the purposes of Section 503E2 of the National Security Act of 1947. F, definitions in this section, 1. The term clandestine military activity or operation in cyberspace means a military activity or military operation carried out in cyberspace or associated preparatory actions authorized by the president or the secretary that A, is marked by, held in, or conducted with secrecy where the intent that the activity or operation will not be apparent or acknowledged publicly, and B, is to be carried out. One, as a part of a military operation planned by the president or the secretary in anticipation of hostilities or as directed by the president or the secretary to to detour, safeguard, or defend against attacks or malicious cyber activities against the United States or Department of, of Defense Information, network systems, installations, facilities, or other assets, or three, in support of information-related capabilities. Now, Trump announced offensive cyber operations just one week after his September 12, 2018 executive order. So as you ponder all the applications of that, note carefully that just eight days after President Trump signed his September 12, 2018 executive order, the Trump administration announced the launch of offensive cyber operation against foreign enemies. This was reported by the Washington Post, which explained... The strategy incorporates a new classified presidential directive that replaced one from the Obama administration. It allows the military and other agencies to undertake cyber operations and tend to protect their systems and the nation's critical networks. So what would be considered offensive cyber operations? Kraken, of course, the 305th Military Intelligence Battalion. Of course, just eight days earlier, President Trump had designated elections infrastructure as critical infrastructure. Now the pieces fit. The, circles, the circle is complete. The election theft was cyber warfare against criminal, critical U.S. infrastructure. This authorizes all kinds of national security activities, such as using U.S. Army Special Forces units to raid the CIA server farm in Frankfurt, which took place shortly after the election. Also in 2018, 
President Trump had authorized the National Security Presidential Memoranda covering offensive cyber operations. So, notably, offensive cyber operations is secret. It's not publicly known. In fact, the Trump administration fought to keep this document hidden from Congress, given that in 2018, the House was run by Pelosi and other treasonous actors who had just pulled off the 2018 cyber attack on the U.S. elections infrastructure, stealing dozens of House seats in order to win a majority in the House from which Adam Schiff could launch his impeachment scheme to try to remove Trump from power. Trump was able to prevent the House from reading SNSPM number 13 for 17 months, according to Fifth Domain, which reported. On a bipartisan basis, some of us sent a letter to Trump administration demanding that they share with at least some of the leadership of the Armed Services Committees the rules of engagement for certain cyber contingencies, a Republican Mac Thornberry of Texas said at the time. The Obama folks did give us that information. The Trump people changed it. But then they were reluctant to show us. What we now know is that Trump was planning the 2020 election sting cyber warfare trap in 2018 and that these cyber warfare response protocols were intentionally kept from Congress for as long as possible, while plans were put in place to catch the Democrats still in the election, the next election, this year's election. So, rest assured, what we know now with absolute certainty is that Trump, Miller, Cohen, Watnick, and other key players put the cyber warfare infrastructure in place in 2018 that would allow them to unleash a domestic military response to arrest, detain, and prosecute all those who were complicit in the attack on America. The patriots, in other words, really are in charge, and they all planned this in 2018, putting in place a framework to trigger the appropriate national security resources once the Democrats took the bait and tried to steal the 2020 election. Gitmo must be getting close to full capacity at this point with lots more detainees on their way. The mass arrests are coming. Trump is in charge and Dems who know what's really happening are beyond terrified. They know they've all been caught. Some will be charged with treason. Many will face military tribunals. A few will likely be executed after found guilty of treason. Finally locked and load. Patriots because Trump may still need need a million armed patriots to show up in D.C. as the critical moments of all this are publicly announced. Stand by for your further instructions from your commander-in-chief. Now, this all makes sense to me. Does it make sense to you, the listener? Going into an article here. That the Trump team, and this was published November 27th on Fox News, but the Trump team removes members of Pentagon's Defense Policy Board, including Kissinger and Albright. It was done quietly earlier this week, on the eve of Thanksgiving. Now notice, take note, a lot of these things are being done quietly. Why is that? Quietly. The Defense Department of Friday, which was back in November, said that a number of members of, def- of its Defense Policy Board, including former Secretaries of State Henry Kissinger and Madeleine Albright, have been removed. As part of a long-considered changes, we can confirm that several members of the Depart- Department's Defense Policy Board have been removed. 
a U.S. defense official told Fox News. Foreign Policy, which first reported the removal, said 11 high-profile advisors were ousted from the board, including Kissinger and Albright, as well as former House Majority Leader Eric Cantor. The purge was done quietly done. This was on the eve of Thanksgiving. Also removed, including former Treasury Undersecretary David McCormick, who served under George W. Bush's administration, and Rudy DeLeon, a former chief operating officer at the Pentagon. I am grateful to the departing board members, many of whom have served for decades, as we adapt the Department for Greater Competition, Power Competition. I look forward to naming new board members in the coming days, the official said. Foreign Policy reported that members of the Trump administration had tried to remake the board with figures more sympathetic to the president and outside the D.C. establishment, including former Air Force fighter pilot Scott O'Grady and former House Speaker Newt Gingrich. However, the outlet reports that the move received pushback from then-Defense Secretary Mark Esper, and under Secretary, acting Undersecretary James Anderson, Esper was fired earlier last month and replaced with Christopher Miller, the director of National Counterterrorism Center. And Anderson resigned a day later. Now, what happens from there is he installed loyalists on in Politico, published just yesterday. The White House removed nine members of the Pentagon's Defense Business Board on Friday and installed people loyal to President Donald Trump in their place, including presidential allies Corey Lewandowski and David Bossie. The fires, firings marked the latest effort by the Trump administration to clean out the Defense Department in the final weeks of the president's term. <laughs> final weeks of the president's term. We don't know that yet. Members of the board received a brief email from Joshua Whitehouse the White House liaison, to the Department of Defense that simply said, if you are receiving this email, your membership on the Defense Business Board has expired or is coming to an end. A number of board members have been terminated with a form letter. In my experience, I was very surprised that the White House would, at the 11th hour, adjust an advisory board that for 19 years has a record of nonpartisan support support with the department. Michael Bayer, who until today was Board chair told Politico, this kind of move really will weigh heavily on people in the future and their willingness to serve on these outside advisory boards if they're just going to be subjected to political loyalty tests. It's unprecedented. I'm just saddened, he added. Besides Bear, the other more board members who were let go are Arnold Punara, Atul Vashtista, John O'Connor, David Venlet, Paul Dolan, Scott Dorn, David Walker, and David Van Sleek. A statement by the Pentagon said the members' term has had expired, yet three former board members who spoke to Politico said their tours were not close to ending. The firings came as a shock to the board members, who had not received any negative feedback or warning prior to their termination. One former board member lamented the move, noting that the board has never been political, ever. You were talking about 15, 20 executives, business leaders, government leaders, who are giving their time to serve the nation, and not even a thank you note, said the person, who asked not to be named. It's just about simple gratitude 
and appreciation for people. So I had no indication this was coming. It was a form letter going to get a large number of people, Bayer said. Besides Lewandowski and Bossy, the other new members are Henry Dreyfus, Robert McMahon, Corey Mills, Bill Bruner, Christopher Shank, Joseph Schmidt, Carrie Miller, Alan Way, and Earl Matthews. Lewandowski was Trump's first campaign manager in 2016, and this year was a senior advisor to the campaign, where he traveled to various states to promote its legal challenges to the election results. He is also, he also is president and CEO of Lewandowski Strategic Advisors. And then it goes on with the other people that have that are now making up the board. So in reading all this, do you see what's going on? I hope that you can. This has been my gut instinct that in the last month or two, that certain things have been, are being put in place. And it's very strategic. Now, Newsmax reported, and this is actually coming from the Washington Post, and the fact that Newsmax is repeating it, I guess, deems some merit. But Biden's team blocked from meeting with U.S. intelligence agencies. Now, this is telling. So here we have, quote, unquote, President-elect Biden. But his transition team has been blocked from meeting with the U.S. intelligence agencies by President Donald Trump's administration. So for weeks, Trump has for weeks delayed approving the start of a formal transition as he contests the results of the 2020 presidential election. Several news outlets have called the race for Biden, and some states have certified the results for the Democratic candidate. Newsmax has not projected a winner. Trump's government on November 23rd authorized Biden to begin a formal transition process. After Michigan certified Biden as its winner, he still vowed to persist with efforts to change the vote. The Biden team, though, has been prevented from holding meetings with the NSA, the DIA, and other intelligence agencies, according to the Post. He has not been able he has been able to meet with the CIA and other agencies not tied to the Pentagon. Sue Gao, a Defense Department spokesperson, denied there there has been any issue. The DOD agency review team has not denied any access, Gao said in a statement. We continue to work with the DOD ART to schedule all requested interviews, briefings, and updates. Sounds like he wasn't allowed. Emerald Robinson tweets out, let's see. Chris Miller and Cash Patel and Ezra Cohen-Watnick have taken over the DOD. ODNI must deliver an assessment of foreign interference to POTUS in our election in the next two weeks. And now we've got cybersecurity experts connecting Dominion systems to China and Iran. Geller report. Top Intel officials warn China is directing influence operations toward Biden. Well, we all knew this. We all knew this. We all could see it coming. All of us that have been paying very close attention this past year, with everything that came out on Hunter Biden and the damning laptop from hell. We could see the the ties to China. We could see that, that Biden is compromised. There is ties to China. This is a China infiltration. And if you're not paying attention, you need to be. Now I'm going to wrap this up. 
And I'm going to wrap this up by saying that everything's been put into place. Everything's been planned. Everything's been pre-planned. Trump has known. Now, you need to recall that I've always had my opinions about JFK and the assassination. He was definitely against secret societies and, and, and taking down you know, uh, the CIA because he knew things too. And he was assassinated and he was assassinated. You know, um, we all question that or we do these days, right? And Trump did hang out with JFK Jr. He hung out with, he's been photographed with the Clintons back in the day. Lots of bigwigs. He knew a lot of people. He knew what was going on. This is a long process. This has been a plan probably set for maybe a while. In 2012, he knew of fraud. The story goes is that he was tapped by the military to please run for office as president. That I do not know. I cannot confirm. It's only a story. However... Knowing Trump's character, knowing his personality, if you watch older interviews, you will see that he is an intense character. He demands loyalty to those who surround him. And we are going to listen to an old Charlie Rose interview just a segment of it from 1992 where you're going to hear this this very much applies to today not only to him not only to his administration but to the country loyalty is very important to Trump and he puts things in motion and he puts the pieces on the board at play you can call him a 5D chess master, whatever you want. I don't know. All I do know is that I have been watching this play out. Have confidence. Pray. Meditate. Whatever your religion or spirituality is. But now is the time. Because these next, next two weeks to a month are going to be very challenging it might even be shocking. Either way. But I want you to take a listen to this. You see, I'm so loyal to people. Maybe I'm loyal to a fault, but I'm so loyal to people that when somebody's slightly disloyal to me, I look upon it as a great act of horror. And how are you different than you were three or four years ago? Well, I used to say, and in fact, I think I said in my first book that, and maybe this was foolish, but I, I really meant it, that someday I'd like to maybe lose everything for a period of time to see who's loyal and who's not loyal. And I frankly, I found out a lot of Did things. you find out who's loyal and not loyal? And you can't guess it. You can't predict it. You think certain people would be loyal no matter what. And it turns out that they're not. And you just, you just can't predict it. It's very difficult. And that would I have think I would have treated people differently. I think that, you know, some of the people that were most loyal to me Uh, you got I think I would have treated them differently. I think I would have treated different groups differently. I would have wiped the floor with the guys that weren't loyal, which I will now do, which is great. You know, I love getting even with people. But I will. I will wipe. You love getting even. Oh, absolutely. 
You don't believe you don't believe in the eyes of the eye. You do. No, I know you well enough. I think you do. But anyway, but <laughs> but tell me, I mean, you you're gonna get even with some people because yeah, I know it's given things. the opportunity. It's given the opportunity. I will get even with some people who disloyal to The music was a little loud, but I think you got the point. Love's getting even. And he finds out who's disloyal to him. And now we're finding out who's disloyal to our country. And it's playing out every day. Now, as I record this, there is a rally going on in Georgia. I am going to tune out of this and tune into that. Thank you for tuning in to the Fringe Following. Please follow us on Facebook. We're up on Parlor. We're up on Twitter. We're up on Pill.net. Hope to see you soon. Please stay strong, have faith, take root, and please defend your country. We are in the final hours of all of this either way, and I hope that this is on Trump's side. Thank you.